Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. This is your host, Robert Silva. Today's podcast will be a three-part podcast. Normally, it's two parts, but a shout-out to my friend on Twitter, Will Davis. He requested that I talk about Tyson Fury's standing amongst the all-time great heavyweights, and that will be part two. Part one will be, we will be recapping the Saturday 94,000 attended fight in Wembley Stadium in London, England. Tyson Fury defending his heavyweight championship of the world against Dillian White. Part two will be uh, Fury's historical standing in heavyweight history. And part three, I will be taking a look at well, the article I wrote on Wilfred Benitez a year ago uh, as loyal listeners and uh, of the fight game media podcast and loyal readers of the fight game media website you guys know that for the last uh, i believe yeah but for the last year now i've been writing a series of articles on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years which covers the time period 1977 to 2021 anything that happens this year has no bearing on what i what i'm writing for or what i've written so far for this listing, for these rankings, for this historical look at that era, 1977 to 2021. Uh, right now, as we speak, by the time you listen to this podcast, my number 15 fighter of the last 45 years, Michael Spinks, should have been published already on the Fight Game Media website. Today, we will be looking at the 43rd greatest fighter of all time on my list, and that is the Puerto Rican legend, Wilfred Benitez. Now on to Saturday's massacre at Wembley, the London Massacre. In my now 46 years of following boxing, watching boxing, reading about boxing, eating boxing, living boxing, sleeping boxing, Dillian White is one of the top five most overrated heavyweights in that era. And when I'm talking about most overrated heavyweights, I'm talking Michael Grant. I'm talking Jerry Cooney. And now we can add Dillian White to that list. Dillian White has never beaten an elite fighter. Every time he has stepped up, he's been put to sleep. 
and the tradition continued Saturday night. Uh, for the first three rounds, Tyson Fury toyed with Dillian White. He did whatever. Dillian White, A, has no chin. B, he's past his prime. And even in his prime, he was chinny. Amen. He got put to sleep by Anthony Joshua by what? An uppercut. And um, he had two wars with Derek Chisora, a middle-of-the-road journeyman. Derek Chisora has never beaten anybody worth their, worth their skin and gold. And yet he keeps fighting guys over and over again. I mean, he recently got a couple of fights with Joseph Parker. Derek Chisora is a joke. And um, Dillian White, I'm not going to call Dillian White a joke. He's been a solid fighter, but he's highly overrated. Highly overrated. And how the hell has he been, as he has been for the last five years, the predominant number one contender in the WBC rankings? He's not that good. No. I mean, he's solid. I don't consider him a dangerous fighter, as Joshua proved, as Alexander Povetkin proved in their first fight. Oh, yeah, White beat Povetkin in the second fight, but Povetkin, over the age of 40, just came off a torrid battle with COVID-19. He was a sitting duck for Dillian White, who in the first fight was put to sleep by Povetkin by what? An uppercut. All right. Back to uh, Saturday, Wembley Stadium. First three rounds, Fury is toying with Dillian White. Timothy Bradley and Joe Testatore. This is where I missed Andre Ward because Testatore and Bradley were fucking horrible. First of all, Timothy Bradley called Fury's trainer, Tyson Hill, um, Sugar Hill. He called him Sugar Ray. No, Timothy Bradley, his fucking name is Sugar Hill, not Sugar Ray. And Fury, while dominating, wasn't putting on the, the same type of performance he put on against Wilder. He was biding his time. He was toying with White. But to hear Testator and Bradley, you were thinking you were seeing a combination of Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis. Oh, Tyson Fury. And Testator, no wonder they fired you off the Monday Night Football broadcast. Testator makes Kevin Harlan sound laid back you know i used to criticize kevin harland when he first started doing nba games over 20 man 25 years ago because everything was like oh it's all about the benjamins baby <coughs> excuse me ladies and gentlemen <coughs> anyway harland eventually toned that down and has become a great announcer joe testator has never been able to tone it down. Everything is the utmost excitement. Like a Monday Night Football, oh, it's a first down by Brady in the first quarter. Man, shut up. It was hyperbole and overkill by both Bradley and Tessator. One thing I love about Andre Ward, he brings a calm influence to the broadcast. He's concise with his commentary, and he doesn't overstate things. Timothy Bradley is a joke. And he's a puppet for top-ranking Bob Arum. Just plain pathetic announcement by them two. For those who haven't seen the fight, when you do watch the fight, mute, mute it. Because Bradley and Tessator bring nothing to the table as far as knowledge for you boxing fans. No, no insight. 
just, oh, Tyson Fury, Fury. Man, shut the hell up. All right, back to the fight. The fourth round, Fury began landing his right cross at will. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, Tyson Fury's straight right hand is a right cross, not a right hook. I'm sick and tired of these announcers. Now, I didn't hear it in this fight. Tessator was smart. He just called it, oh, right hand by Fury, right hand by Fury. He never called it a right cross. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's a right cross, not a right hook, all right? When a, when a, when a traditional orthodox fighter is leading with his left jab, his left hand, when he comes across with a right hand, it's a right cross, Basic boxing, right? not a right hook, all right? Okay, Todd Grisham, Mauro Ronaldo, you goofs. All right, I digress. Back to the fight. Fifth round, Fury landed more of his right, right crosses, and he was beginning to land his left hooks. And in the sixth round, he landed a picture-perfect uppercut. Oh, wow. What knocked out Dillian White? A right uppercut. Third time. In his career, he's been put to sleep by an uppercut. He got up at the count of nine and a half. Referee Mark Lissom made the right choice because Dillian White fell into his arms, stopped the fight. Tyson Fury with an easy fight, barely broke a sweat, easy victory to continue as the heavyweight champion of the world. I don't give a damn what the WBA, WBC, WBO, IBF, ABC, CBS, ESPN, XYZ, NBC say. I don't give a goddamn what those sanctioned bodies say. Tyson Fury is the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, he claimed at the press conference that he's retiring um, and seeking a fight with Francis Ngannou. Hey, look, I while I hate the circus atmosphere, I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna begrudge Fury for wanting a fight with Engano because that's easy money. It's gonna be a boxing match, and Fury's gonna get paid out his ass. Um, I mean they're gonna pay him big money to obliterate Engano. Engano has no shot in a boxing match. None of these. Listen, and by the way, we're on. You're listening on Fight Game Media, which has incredible coverage on UFC. For those that are really interested in complete coverage of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, including UFC, I would advise you guys to go to the FightGameMedia.com website, check on the Patreon page, and you have exclusive coverage of every single organization in the world, plus a monthly boxing special podcast that I'm doing on the greatest upsets in boxing history. Recently, I covered the January 29th, 1994 fight between Frankie Randall and Julio Cesar Chavez, the fight that finally ended Julio Cesar Chavez's 90 fight unbeaten streak, despite the fact that he got away with a couple of robberies before that fight. But if you guys want to hear more about that, more about AEW, WWE, New Japan, All Japan, etc. And UFC and Bellator. Yeah, they, they even have coverage on Impact, formerly known as TNA. Go to the Fight Game Media website. Check on the Patreon page. For $5 a month, you get the best coverage of mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the planet. And you get a special bonus of listening to my crazy ass talk about the greatest upsets in boxing history. There's been three episodes so far I've done. Uh, the first two with Carlos Toro, my former co-host. Uh, the first the first one we did was 
the incredible upset. And man, I, I've got a brain fart because I, I forgot what I've done so far. Early signs of dementia, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I know we did one on Roberto Duran versus Esteban de Jesus from November 1972. Oh, and from October of, of 1986, Lloyd Honeykins, incredible upset over Donald Curry, who at that point in time was considered the best fighter in the world. So there you go. Those two, uh, those two plus the Chavez Randall first fight, those three episodes are on the Patreon page exclusively. You won't find it on, on the free feed here. Now, on to my buddy Will Davis's question about Tyson Fury standing all-time heavyweights. Now, before I do that, I'm going to go from 10 to 1, my all-time greatest heavyweights. And I'll give an explanation as to each ranking. Number 10, Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey was an incredible fighter. There's uh, several fights of his on YouTube if you guys want to check out his style. Uh, Mike Tyson uh, has always mentioned how Dempsey was the prototype for his style. Him and Customato studied Jack Dempsey style, and if you looked at Mike Tyson with, with the with the with the fade and and no robe coming in the ring and the aggressive style going to the body, bobbing and weaving, he got all that from looking at Jack Dempsey. He was a huge fan of Jack Dempsey. Dempsey's my number ten. Um, reason why he's not higher: a when he was champion of the world for uh and I believe he was heavyweight champion of the world for about eight years, nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty six or twenty seven. I forget and I'm I'll be fifty four in two weeks and I've got early signs of dementia. <laughs> I don't think I do. I I do always use that as a joke. But anyway, back to Jack Dempsey. He rarely defended his title in those seven, eight years. And he never once fought the best black fighters on the planet. Now I give him credit. He did try to secure a fight with Harry Wills, but it never came to fruition. He didn't fight the best black fighters of the world at that time. More on that later as far as why black fighters were blackballed, and he rarely defended the title. So, that that being said, his standing falls to number 10. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Number nine, the man who patterned his style after Jack Dempsey, Mike, Mike Tyson. From 1986 to when, the, when he went to prison in 1992, Mike Tyson worldwide was on the level of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson as far as popularity goes with athletes. Mike Tyson was an incredible pop culture, pop 
culture figure. Um, right there with Jordan and, and Magic at that point in time. From 1986 to 1990, he totally dominated the heavyweight division. I mean, he beat up fighter after fighter until Buster Douglas, in a way, exposed him, beat him badly, and knocked him out in the 10th round to become heavyweight champion of the world. I truly believe that at that point in time, Tyson, 23 years old, was never the same fighter after getting blasted and battered by uh, Buster Douglas. Uh, Mike uh, would come back and uh, he can't go past nine because he never won a huge fight against a great fighter after Douglas after Buster beat him. He got obliterated twice by uh, Evander Holyfield. He bit Holyfield's ear out of frustration. They say headbutts. I say he knew he couldn't beat Holyfield, and he said, look, I got to save face, so he bit both of his ears. One completely off, one was dangling. <laughs> un, un fucking real But Mike, in his prime, and more about Mike Tyson next week, as he'll be the subject of my top 45 fighters of all time. So I will talk more about Mike's career next week, but that's the reason I have Mike at number nine. Number eight, the man who beat Tyson twice. The real deal, Evander Holyfield. Uh, Holyfield, undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. He was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world as he knocked out Buster Douglas after Douglas beat Tyson. Uh, he found a way to beat Riddick Bowe once in their three fights, which was in, were three incredible fights, the, the second greatest trilogy in heavyweight history after the Ali Frazier trilogy. And Holyfield fought everybody in the heavyweight era of the 90s, which is one of the greatest eras in boxing history. He beat Riddick Bowe once in their three fights. He fought Lennox Lewis twice, even though he was totally dominating both fights. First fight was outright robbery. The worst robbery I've ever seen in my life. They scored it a draw. Right? He beat Tyson twice. Uh, he fought Michael Mora twice. He fought all the best heavyweights. Uh, he beat George Foreman. He beat all the best heavyweights of the 90s. So uh, he's my number eight. Number seven, Smoking Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier only lost to two men in his career, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And he beat Muhammad Ali in the single most hyped, uh, uh, famous fight in the history of boxing, the March 8th, 1971 fight in Madison Square Garden. Frazier knocks Ali down in the 15th round, wins the decision, and right then and there, his legacy was secured. He would and also... He was never the same after that fight So he's my number seven My number six greatest heavyweight of all time Is George Foreman George Foreman went 21 years between Heavyweight reigns Losing his title to Muhammad Ali In October of 1974 And then 21 years later in November of 1990 oh, No I'm sorry 20 years later Not 21 years apart 20, 20 years apart Almost 20 years to the day because it was October 30th, 1974, that he lost his title to Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle in Zaire. And November 5th, 1994, he knocked out Michael Mora to become the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Um, people say, oh, well, well, Lennox Lewis was WBC champion. No, 
Lennox Lewis took his belt out of a garbage can. In my opinion, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world was Michael Moore, then George Foreman. Foreman beat the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. I don't give a goddamn about sanctioning bodies. I look at who the actual champion is. I don't give a damn what the alphabet soup criminal cartel organizations look at. It's my eyes and my knowledge. All right. So Foreman, my number six, um, one of the greatest punches in, in boxing history, underrated left jab. And if you would have combined the, the ring IQ of George Foreman in the 1990s to the all right, savage, brutal beast that Foreman was in the 70s, who did everything off of natural punching power, you'd have you would have had the greatest heavyweights of heavyweight of all time. Number five is Jack Johnson, heavyweight champion of the world from 1908 to 1915, and the hell he had to overcome was ridiculous. The entire white power establishment of the United States went after him with full force. How he wasn't murdered during one of his fights is amazing. They tried and eventually succeeded in imprisoning him for marrying white women. Called it a crime. They even had an act uh, named after in order for him to go to prison. And then he finally loses the title in 1915 in Havana, Cuba, to Jess Willard, the man who would lose the title in a brutal one-sided beating the Jack Dempsey four years later. Jack Johnson, number five. My number fourth greatest heavyweight of all time is the man who was the best heavyweight of the 1990s, Lennox Lewis. Um, I consider him the greatest British fighter of all time. Um, I consider him the greatest fighter of Jamaican heritage. Mike McCollum, the body snatcher, is what I consider, and there's no doubt in most people's minds, the greatest Jamaican-born fighter of all time. I have Lennox Lewis as the greatest Jamaican heritage fighter of all time, as both his parents were born and raised in Jamaica. Uh, Lennox was an incredible heavyweight, one of the greatest jabs in boxing history. He threw combinations. He had an incredible right hand, and he's one of the few fighters in the history of the heavyweight division to have defeated every man he ever fought as he avenged two losses, both to Oliver McCall and Hoxine Rockman, and he avenged a brutal draw in the worst robbery in boxing history against Evander Holyfield to become undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Lennox Lewis is my number fourth greatest heavyweight of all time. My number three is Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes had undisputedly the greatest jab in the history of boxing. That jab could win him fights when nothing else was working. Dominated the heavyweight division for seven years. Exposed the most overrated heavyweight in the history of boxing. Not named Rocky Marciano. And that was Jerry Cooney. With that battering hammer jab and finally stopping him in the 13th round of a one-sided fight. Even though two uh, two of the three judges had uh, Jerry Cooney winning more rounds than Larry Holmes. God, are you goddamn serious? More on that later when I talk about Larry Holmes way down. Probably a year from now. Because Larry Holmes is, spoiler alert, 
in my top 10 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. It's not hard to fathom. Okay. Larry Holmes, my number three greatest heavyweight of all time. My number two is Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was the first black heavyweight in 22 years since Jack Johnson was dethroned in Havana, Cuba to become heavyweight champion of the world when he obliterated James J. Braddock in 1937, held the title for 12 years, a record number of defenses for heavyweight that will never be broken, 25 defenses, and just an outright great fighter, great jab, incredible power, uh, Joe Lewis, number two, all-time great heavyweight. Number one, without a doubt, Muhammad Ali. No other heavyweight beat the amount of fighters, amount of great fighters in the history of boxing that Muhammad Ali did. Sonny Liston, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. And by the way, Liston would be my number 11. And had Liston won one of those fights with Ali, he definitely could have been a contender for top five. But uh, Ali beat Liston, Foreman, Frazier, Ken Norton. I mean, the list is endless. The list of great fighters Muhammad Ali beat. No other heavyweight comes close to beating. I mean, Lennox Lewis, maybe. Lennox Lewis, maybe. But uh, uh, Lennox Lewis... Lennox Lewis would be would be a would would be second as far as defeating great great heavyweights. But Ali, incredible career, and like my father always told me, look, I wasn't born until 1968. My father saw Ali in his prime, and my father said that Ali was picture perfect from 1964 to 1967. My father always said up until the time he died 22 years ago that he never saw another heavyweight that could have fucked with Ali during those years. Muhammad Ali. The greatest heavyweight of all time. Will, as far as where Tyson Fury would would uh, stack up against these great heavyweights all time in terms of ranking, I would have Tyson Fury could battle for the 12th spot. I've got Sonny Liston at 11. And so then you have guys like uh, the Klitschko brothers, Fury, uh, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, and I have to put Fury above those two guys, being that Fury's the best heavyweight of this era so far. This era is not over yet because I don't believe Fury's retiring. I believe he still have, he still may have fights with Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua in the future. Uh, Tyson Fury, excellent left jab, uh, ring general. He's his IQ is off the charts in in, in um in the ring. First ballot Hall of Famer. He is. You You could make an argument for number 12. You want to slot him in number 12? I won't argue with you. The other 11, he still has some work to do to crack the top 10. If he ever fights Usyk and beats Usyk, then you can make an argument that he knocks Jack Dempsey out of number 10 spot. And I won't argue with you. And we can revisit this list later on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to part three of the podcast and that's my uh reading of my number 43 greatest fighter of the last 45 years and that's the radar wilfred benitez according to my dearly departed father the most naturally gifted Puerto Rican fighter to ever live 
was Wilfred Benitez. In his prime, Benitez was both one of the greatest defensive fighters and counterpunchers who ever lived. From 1977 to 1982, he fought a who's who of fighters in the 140, 147, and 154 pound divisions, holding world titles in each division at a time when there weren't a proliferation of world titles in each division. By the way, from 1977 to 1982, there were only two world champions per division, not the 37 that we have today, right? It was just the WBA and the WBC. It's just plain criminal that despite his immense talent and ability, that Benitez is only the 43rd best fighter of the last 45 years. And that's because of his proclivity to live a lifestyle that did not, that could not be condoned for a world-class athlete or fighter. Going into 1977, the 18-year-old Benitez was the reigning WBA and Ring Magazine super lightweight champion. Having defeated Colombian legend Antonio Cervantes six months earlier to become the youngest world champion in boxing history at the age of 17, that will never be matched because in the United States, you're not allowed to turn pro in the majority of states super, uh, that are uh, under the under the supervision of the ABC uh, rules of boxing that a fighter must be 18 years old to turn pro. So to be world champion 17 in the United States is not happening. 1977 was a tumultuous, tumultuous year for Benitez. Benitez totally disregarded defending his title despite having fought six times that year, resulting in the WBA stripping him of his 140-pound crown. Benitez struggled in his first fight in 1977, fighting to a 10-round draw with slick boxer Harold Weston. Then Benitez, the Benitez signed to fight the best fighter in the world at that time, Roberto Duran, in a non-title fight to take place November 18th, 1977 at Madison Square Garden. My father was so excited because at the time, Benitez and Duran were his two favorite fighters actively fighting so that he bought tickets to see the fight. I was only nine and wouldn't have been able to attend the fight because New York State had a law restricting children on the, under the age of 14 from attending fight cards. Unfortunately, this potential legendary matchup between a 26-year-old Prime Duran and a 19-year-old Benitez was canceled when three weeks before the fight, Duran pulled out with the flu. Benitez's performance against Duran's replacement was a disaster. The undefeated 21-year-old prospect Bruce Curry, younger brother, I mean older brother of Donald Curry, not younger brother, older brother of future welterweight legend and Hall of Famer Donald Curry. Bruce Curry was Duran's replacement that night. Back then, WNEWAM Radio in New York City would air the monthly Madison Square Garden fight cards. The announcer John Condon, who was also the president of MSG Boxing at the time, Described Benitez's performance in the first three rounds as lethargic. He was then dropped three times combined in rounds four and five. Referee Arthur McCanty showed incredible restraint in not stopping the fight. When my father came home from the fight, he admitted that Curry was robbed. I I, I do I I watching uh first of all, like I said in the article, I heard the fight on the radio and John kudos to John Condon. He gave a very descriptive uh, 
calling the fight. I could visualize what was going on in the ring while listening to his radio broadcast, which a great radio announcer of sports should do. Uh, Bob Murphy was a master dad for years as the Mets radio announcer. And today, Howie Rose does the same thing whenever I hear an occasional Met game on the radio. Um, watching a tape of the fight years later, Benitez didn't win this fight. This was a highway robbery. Bruce Curry dominated this fight, dropped Benitez three times, and was robbed. A win that could have really catapulted his career into getting a title shot back then. It, it Instead, he would fight Benitez in an immediate rematch 10 weeks later. In the, not even three months later, but Benitez won by a convincing 10-round decision. And now Benitez would move up to 147 pounds, where he would win three fights at 147, before securing a fight with the WBC welterweight champion, Carlos Palomino. The fight took place on January 14, 1979, in Benitez's hometown of San Juan, Puerto Rico. My father and I nervously watched this fight in our living room that Sunday afternoon. Pop felt that if Benitez fought his best, Palomino, Palomino would have no shot. Benitez, Benitez was a much quicker and skillful fighter than the hard-hitting champion. Palomino was able to hurt Benitez in the fifth round with two great right crosses, but the challenger did in his first fight. But uh, Benitez did like in his first fight with Curry, show incredible intestinal fortitude to survive against the power-punching champion. After Benitez recovered, he proceeded to put on a masterful display of boxing wizardry that had the sold-out Iran Bitton Stadium fans roaring with complete adulation of their hometown favorite. Benitez looked to have easily won a 15-round decision. He did win, even though Judge Zach Clayton inexplicably scored the fight for Palomino. At the age of 20, Benitez was now a two-time world champion and in line defend, to defend against the burgeoning Sugar Ray Leonard. After successfully defending his title in a rematch against Weston, Benitez signed to defend against Leonard. The fight would take place on November 30th, 1979 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. It would also air in prime time on ABC with the legendary Howard Cosell announcing. Howard Cosell loved Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh, the ubiquitous. The tantalizing Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray, this is his night to shine. This is the night that the boxing world will crown Sugar Ray as the successor to Muhammad Ali as the king of boxing. My father and I couldn't stand uh, Leonard. While we acknowledge that he was a special fighter, we abhorred his arrogance and sense of entitlement. Leading up to the fight, my father heard a rumor that Benitez was dating Leonard's sister. Not only was the rumor true, they would eventually become engaged. Imagine the mixed emotions she felt that night where her man faced her brother in their most important fight of their respective careers up to that point. That night, much to the chagrin of Pop and I, Leonard put on one of the greatest performances I've ever seen by an elite boxer versus another. Leonard used his superior speed and punching power to land several combinations against the Puerto Rican def defensive wizard. Benitez had no answers for the Sugar Man, and knowing he was way behind on the scorecards going into the 15th round, 
tried for a knockout, but instead took such a ferocious beating that referee Carlos Padilla stopped the fight with only seconds left in the fight. That was the night my father was convinced Leonard was the real deal. Didn't keep It didn't keep us from hating his pompous ass. But Sugar Ray proved that night that he was on his way to becoming one of the all-time greats. And more on that, probably a year from now when I talk about Sugar Ray Leonard and his standing in the 45 greatest fighters of all time. After losing his title to Leonard, Benitez immediately moved up to 154 pounds, winning three straight fights before accepting a February 23rd, 1981 fight against the WBA 147-pound uh, champion Thomas Hearns at Madison Square Garden. Unfortunately, just like his November 1977 fight with Duran, the fight was, with Hearns was canceled due to circumstances beyond his control. The promoter of the fight, Harold Smith, had been accused of embezzling $21 million from Wells Fargo Bank, and in turn, the entire show was canceled. Instead, on May 23, 1981, Benitez faced 154-pound champion Maurice Hope in an attempt to win his third world title by the insane age of 22. Benitez put on a virtuoso performance. After his spectacular knockout culminating in his third world title, Benitez sought out a fight that was denied to him four years earlier versus Duran. Benitez defended his 154-pound crown against Duran on January 30th, 1982 at Caesars Palace. My father placed a $250 wager with one of his co-workers on Benitez. And uh, that co-worker was a fucking idiot. Pop felt Benitez was too slick for Duran to fight his usual aggressive style. Duran's aggressive style was tailor-made for Benitez's mastery and counter-punching. As we sat in my grandfather's house to watch this fight, Pop kept smacking me on the back of my head after every round. That was his way of saying that he was right. That night, Benitez was radar-like radar -like in his avoidance of Durant's offense as he gracefully moved his body and head out of harm's way while landing beautiful counters with both hands, left hook counters and right cross counters. Benitez won a 15-round decision in what would be the greatest night of his career. Ten months later, he traveled to New Orleans to make his next offense against Hearns, a fight that had been canceled almost two years prior. My father was Puerto Rican and very proud of his heritage. His idol was Roberto Clemente, the single greatest baseball player and athlete ever to hail from Puerto Rico. My father loved Benitez, both because of his wizardry inside the ring and because of his Puerto Rican heritage. And we're going to be honest, ladies and gentlemen, the vast majority of fight fans Favorite fighters are guys that share their ethnic heritage. It's been like that since the beginning of boxing and will never change. And I understand it. Um, but my father also loved Hearns. And Hearns had an offensive weaponry, in his opinion, only rivaled by the great Sugar Ray Robinson. My father rooted for Benitez, but he knew deep down inside that despite Benitez's gifts, Hearn's jab and length were insurmountable to overcome. I remember that night vividly because it was my father's favorite fighter at the time, Wilfred Benitez. Hearns was the second favorite fighter versus my favorite fighter at that time, Thomas Hearns. We both knew that Benitez at 5'10 could not compete with the 6'2 Hearns' jab, 
right cross, and Benitez was not an aggressive fighter like Sugar Ray Leonard was, where he could attack Hearns and make it a firefight. He was going to try to outbox Hearns, and as we saw in Hearns' entire career, no one outboxed the uh, the hitman from Detroit, Michigan. My father was correct. Hearns kept Benitez at bay throughout the entire 15 rounds with his jab and length. Although Hearns severely hurt his signature right cross hand in the 8th round, Benitez had no answer for Hearns' machine gun left jab and was soundly defeated by 15-round decision. That December 1982 evening, Hearns once again proved that there wasn't a man alive who could outbox him. Benitez did not have the aggressive style to try and outslug him, similar to what Leonard did versus the hitman. Although only 24th at the time of his defeat of Hearns, Benitez's skills quickly declined due to personal bad habits. His relationship with Leonard's sister ended because of Wilfred's proclivity for women, cocaine, and alcohol. On July 16, 1983, Benitez fought 160-pound top challenger Mustafa Hamshow, the winner to get a shot at the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, marvelous Marvin Hagler. A win over Hamshow would all but guarantee a chance for Benitez to become the first four-division world champion ever. My father and I sat in shock. As my father and I sat in shock as we watched Benitez lay up against the ropes for the entire 12 rounds, doing absolutely nothing while the Syrian brawler Hampshire bombarded him with body and headshots. Benitez was completely listless in losing that day. We were in denial about just how far Benitez had regressed. We thought it was just a minor blip in his career. In reality, it was the beginning of the end. Exactly a year later, Davy Moore would knock out Benitez in the second round, a fight that also saw Benitez break his ankle when he was knocked down. He should have retired right then and there, but his drug abuse had gotten to the point where he needed to continue fighting in order to support his habit. Benitez continued to fight until finally retiring in 1990 at the age of 32 when he was diagnosed with a degenerative brain condition. Today, at 63 years old, it is a miracle that Benitez is still alive due to the punishment he accumulated both in the ring and from his abuse of narcotics. That being said, his six-year run from 1977 to 1982 saw him as one of the greatest ring technicians who ever lived. That six-year period alone is enough to be the 43rd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will have a special special guest and that is the head of the fight game media website patreon and podcast uh feeds garrett and i will discuss at length the results of the and give a, a complete recap of the oscar valdez versus shakur stevenson junior lightweight unification fight being held next saturday night and a part two of the podcast will see me talking about the incredible punching power and rapid-like rise of Iron Mike Tyson. Ladies and gentlemen, talk to you great people next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.